0: Welcome back to Read Your Public Library's official podcast, Part of the Story. I'm one of your hosts, Claire Brown, and today I'm joined by two people from our lovely local museum, Nicole Lytle and Kirsten Lowe. Welcome both. Thank Hi. you so much for having us. So this is a first of three series that we're doing together to sort of celebrate the transformations that the museum is going through particularly in their gift shop area, so we'll get into a little bit more of that later. But if we can just have a little bit of background on both of you, perhaps uh, Kirsten, you'll be able to sort of introduce yourself to the podcast.
1: Well, hi, my name is Kirsten, I am the executive assistant at the Red Deer Museum and Art Gallery. I began working here actually back in 2016 as a summer student, and then I got rehired back in 2019 as a receptionist. And then when the pandemic hit, uh, I got hired as the executive assistant. And then when uh, 2021 happened, I also became in charge of the gift shop.
0: So it's been quite a journey for you over the last few years.
1: (laughs) It has been. And it's just been a journey of growth. I've been doing new things. I've been in charge of gift shop which has just been a huge huge project but i love it it's truly been amazing and so much fun and i
0: just i'm really happy where i am right now so that's awesome and nicole yourself a little bit of your history at the museum
2: yeah uh, i'm nicole i started working at the museum in 2020 right in the middle of the pandemic (laughs) um, as a summer student and i did two summers at the museum um, and then started Uh, my current position um, where I am the museum associate uh, in September of 2021. So I work between the collections department and the exhibitions department. So I help cataloging our collection um, and I help setting up and taking down exhibitions and doing research. Um, So I have my fingers in all sorts of little (laughs) pies around the museum. So it's been really, really interesting and a really good learning experience for me.
0: And this is really exciting because the Museum Society is celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. So I've heard some things are coming up in September. Is that
1: correct? Um, we have some stuff, actually, that's been kind of going on throughout the year, but um, not necessarily only in September, but we just had our Meg 50th um, birthday for Family Day, and that was a huge hit. Um Uh, we are just finishing up our exhibit um, upon further reflection, which uh, Nicole, if you kind of want to touch on that. um. Yeah,
2: so we did two exhibits to celebrate the 50th anniversary. Uh, The first one went up uh, in late 2022 um, that celebrated stories of our collection. Um, And this current exhibit uh, upon further reflection is really looking at the stories that are in our collection, Big important donors, important stories um, that we've found and researched through our collection and just sharing that with the community. Um, And so that is only on um, until March 11th, that's when the last day to see this exhibit. So if people haven't come down to see it yet, We're taking it down soon.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we are recording this at the end of February for our audience. It will be out next week, so they will have a few days to uh, go to the museum. Do you have anything upcoming that you'd like to sort of tease our audience with in terms of uh, exhibitions? Uh,
2: The next exhibition that we're going to be putting up actually is our annual uh, RDP student showcase exhibit, so that will be going up uh, I believe starting March 25th um, with a reception to follow. So that's always a really exciting exhibit every year.
0: Lots to look forward to, for sure. So just as there's sort of a journey in the museum gift shop at present, um, do you want to talk a little bit about the changes that have been made as of late and sort of what brings us to today? For sure. So
1: I was born and raised in Red Deer and I remember the Red Deer Museum always having a gift shop. So But as the years kind of went by, the gift shop that they had just got smaller and smaller and smaller to our uh, kiosk that we have right by the front desk. Mm -hmm. So when I started working here, we just had um, consignment items from local artists, which there was nothing wrong with that. It just, it wasn't working for Mm -hmm. the museum. So I volunteered to take over the gift shop. And since then, we've I've completely transformed it over. We have uh, brought in new vendors. For example, we have beautifully handcrafted beeswax candles from local vendor Fire and Fiber Handicrafts. We have uh, vintage postcards of the Meg, and we have a we just included a reproduction of our world famous. 1992 um, World's Most Boring Postcard, (laughs) which also, if you go onto our website, you can go and order um, our, uh, we have the postcard on uh, t t-shirts and sweaters too. We are very proud, so. (laughs) (laughs) And our newest vendor that I'm really excited that we carry now is the Prairie Soap Shack. Um, They create all natural skin and body care products for people who want that modern self-care infused with a connection to the plants from the prairies. And we're their only stockist in Red Deer as well. And they're they're from Red Deer County.
0: Oh, excellent. I love that.
1: Yeah. So we have a lot of exciting things going on with the gift shop. And uh, definitely one of the areas that... Uh, I was looking into was our um, books, because we do carry the Central Alberta Historical Society books, we carry Mm -hmm. some of their books. But one thing that I really wanted to do was try to pull in um, books for the younger readers. And Nicole and I, um, we were talking one day, and that's where the Dear Canada series came up. Nicole and I, uh, the Dear Canada series both played a role in getting Nicole and I interested in history when we were children. Um, Yeah, for me, and I'll let Nicole tell kind of her story after, and it's funny how I can remember it. I remember I was in grade three at my uh, and I was in school at the library, I was going through books and the Dear Canada series book that I picked up was Footsteps in the Snow. And since then, I was hooked. I always had to have the next Dear Canada series book, and I couldn't put it down. And my parents were thrilled. <laughs> because I could not I couldn't read like, it's not that I couldn't read, but I didn't care to read. Right. <laughs> and after that, I always had a book in my hand. And it was, I just I couldn't put it down. So that's what really got me into history.
0: I love that. And now you're working in a place that really reveres history. And it started way back in grade three, and that you remember the title. Yeah, that's amazing. It's, It's like such a personal connection.
1: Yeah, it's crazy, and it's, what's even more crazy is that my kids—I uh, have two twins who are four—and in pre-K, they go to the elementary school that I went to. Oh my goodness! So at the <laughs> Christmas concert, I actually walked by that same library, and it's like, "Yep, there it is. That's the spot." <laughs> it's just like, why do I remember this? It's, I, yeah, so it had such a huge impact on me, and. Sure enough, uh, when I told Nicole about it, she had a similar, like, story, and I'll let Nicole tell her side of that, so. Uh,
2: Yeah, so I have a really similar story. Um, I also remember the first title of the Dear Canada book that I read, which was A Trail of Broken Dreams, Um, and I also started reading them in, like, the third or fourth grade. They were the kind of books that the smart readers in my class would be reading, so there'd be a bunch of us girls who would read the Dear Canada books and then pass them around to each other, tell them which titles were good ones to read. <laughs> um, and so that was like a really, a really interesting way for me to get into history. And I, I'm still doing history now, so. I love that and I think
0: a lot of times when we think about reading about history even like later in life but certainly earlier I think we gender it a little bit too much we think oh boys are interested in history girls are interested in whatever so I love hearing these stories of these two young girls in third and fourth grade wanting to learn history and keeping that with them this whole time that they've made you know lives and careers out of loving history it's just it's so awesome I love it. Yeah,
2: it's, it's pretty neat. I've got, I've got a whole collection of them on my shelves at home and like they're, they're some of my favorites. So.
0: And just so people know, if you are looking to add Dear Canada to your shelves at home, do you want to talk a little bit about what's available at the mag
1: for Dear Canada? Well, right now we are in the process of getting, of working to get the Dear Canada series into the gift shop. Um, It, is hard because sadly um, they are considered one of an older series Mm -hmm. but i am working on it Um, so definitely keep an eye out on our facebook and instagram page Um, as soon as we get them in i will update that but luckily um, i was looking on the library website and you guys
0: have we do collection
1: you guys have
0: it so (laughs) so in the meantime you can tide your appetites with some like little library borrows of the dear Canada series Mm -hmm. so as part of this uh three episode mini series that we're doing we are going to be highlighting some of these titles that we think that readers of all ages either starting readers or readers who just enjoy to read will enjoy some of these stories with which have topics that you know still relevant to today as history does go um so did you want to get into a little bit of the titles you'd like to highlight today then yeah for sure so
1: one of the titles that we'll we'll be discussing on this episode is if i die before i wake the flu epidemic diary of fiona mcgregor and this takes place in toronto ontario 1918 and this was written by Jean Little. And this was published in 2007, so 12 years before the COVID-19 pandemic. So Fiona, um, she is a 12-year-old twin, and she's living with her father, her two older sisters, Joe and Gemma, and her twin sister, Fanny, and her little brother, Theo. And what's really interesting is because i don't want to give too much away about the plot and all that but what's really interesting about this book is just again you see this through the eyes of a 12 year old and one thing that really stood out was obviously there's a war going on Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: she does the first thing that she says mentions about the war is and I'll say this because uh, she doesn't like to write in a diary, her father actually makes her do it as a chore kind of to practice her penmanship Mm -hmm. so in a way to make it more enjoyable she pretends she's writing to her future daughter Jane. So, oh, okay. yeah, which we actually see some of the other girls in the series do this, which I actually think in one of my diaries as a little girl, I tried to do that, too. Which, you <laughs> <Yeah. know. laughs> so she said, oh, did I forget to mention our country is at war? So it shows how you she is to, you know, Canada being in war. And it shows that and, you know, in one entry, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, our we're at war, Lata, Lata, but then in the next entry, you know, she's writing about how, she, like, her friend's brother passed away and how she's crying about it. So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, being a young child again, you really see her struggle with that. See her, if you see her kind of not really get it, but then at the time you do it's
0: it's which seems very authentic to like a child's experience like it's in the background yeah Yeah, you know your parents are talking about it you know whomever's talking about it but until yeah perhaps her friend's older brother then it's a different story then suddenly she knows the reality of it in a different way
1: exactly exactly and another thing that we see in this book is uh, her older sister Jo. Um, she wants to go to school to become not a nurse but a doctor and we do get to see some sexism in this because mm-hmm. not only like Jo's father, her own father says girls are meant to be nurses not doctors. Yeah. yeah. And the boys at the university where Joe ends up going to school, she goes to school at the University of Toronto they actually ch- uh, say to her, like in a chant to her and her friends, she doesn't know that her degree should be MRS and not MD. Yeah. I know. Yes. It. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And then she like Joe will come home and she'll say like, oh, one of like their professors will turn his back on the, all the girls in his class and won't even acknowledge them because he doesn't believe that women should be doctors. So, again, it's, yeah, it's just really crazy, like, not crazy, but it's uh, interesting, again, to see that from the point of view of a 12-year-old. Because instead of getting mad or offended, you know, Fiona's just like, I I would never want to be a nurse or a doctor. Like, I don't want to have to deal with that. Like, yeah, (laughs) just (laughs) keep me away from that stuff. The first cases of the spanish flu that fiona writes about comes up in quebec and the first thing that people say was oh well that's a whole province away the people are overreacting and that's what we had seen saw when COVID happened was oh that's the whole whole world away in china like we're yeah. not too worried about that the news is overreacting um suddenly as soon as the cases started to appear in toronto mass hysteria and doctors are telling everyone to keep their cool, which is literally what the doctors <laughs> say in the book, keep your cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, that always works well. Yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally.
1: And then Joe, because she was already going to school for to be a doctor, she became um, a nurse uh, to go and care for the sick. And because of social media during the pandemic, we got to see firsthand how it was affecting our nurses. Mm-hmm. and. Fiona writes, like, Joe isn't her old loving self anymore. She's not sick, but she looks tired and she looks haunted, which. That's heartbreaking. uh, Yeah, it's heartbreaking because she sees that in her sister. And Mm -hmm. it's reading this after living through a pandemic of our own. It was really eerie because you See all these similarities, but and then you gotta remember this was written in two thousand and seven
0: mm-hmm. about something that happened like a hundred years ago. Yeah. and yeah.
1: exactly. So it was yeah,
0: like a small the tangent case. on the pandemic experience when you're talking and when Fiona is talking about, wow, it's a province away, it's probably a footnote in her diary. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I heard people talking. I still recall like February, 2020 when you're like planning all of your summer things. And, you know, we both work mm-hmm. in public service areas and you, and it wasn't even a thing. It was just like, yeah, it's happening somewhere. It's not happening here. That's- and it's very interesting to see that the experience is basically repeating itself. From all of those years ago.
1: Yeah. And it was the same thing like, oh, school's out. You know, they were so excited, blah, blah, blah. But then as months pass, again, she writes, hardly anything feels ordinary. If we went back to school, it would help. Hmm. So, you know, there's the excitement of, oh, school's out. We don't have to, you know, but then there's that longing for things to return back to normal.
0: The routine.
1: Yeah. The routine and all that. And then just, There's a skipping rhyme that, um, because both me and Nicole read the book, but there's a skipping rhyme that uh, Nicole had highlighted, but it's, and they uh, had sung it, but I had a little bird. Its name is Enza. I opened the window and influenza, like just kind of how, like, how some of the children were so, what's the right word? Just not at first not really taking it seriously you know they they couldn't they didn't understand it Mm -hmm. but it reminded me yeah
2: it reminded me a lot of how people were making jokes about the pandemic early on like giving it different names we didn't want to call it the pandemic Mm -hmm. it was we were in a global panorama or something right (laughs)
1: yeah
2: so so the similarities between what fiona's writing about the spanish flu and what we experienced in the pandemic was really interesting. Just the comparisons between, they were so similar. And yet we were calling the pan, our pandemic like an unprecedented event. Like nothing had ever happened like this before. But reading this book, you're like, no, it all really did happen before.
0: Which is interesting because a lot of the messaging seems quite similar. Even like internally with how communities coped. It's like, well, it's far away. Well, it's this. Well, it's whatever. And you're just like rationalizing your want of normal basically until you're struck in the face that it just can no longer be that way
1: yeah exactly and with our connections i just want to talk about ella parsons um and and her husband richard parsons which nicole will touch on uh dr richard parsons when we discuss the next book Um, but Ella Parsons was the wife of Dr. Richard Parsons. Um, we have Ella's dress on display here at the Meg with a picture of her and her two sons, McGregor and William. And she would write letters to her mother uh, and she would actually describe about um, the pandemic and how her husband would see up to 50 patients a day. And she uh, would, write in the this letter to her mother uh just about how worried she was for her husband and it's heartbreaking because out of the 54 deaths in red deer sadly elo would become one of a uh, victim of the spanish flu oh, nice. and um, on the day that his wife passed away um dr richard parsons only saw 15 patients that day and then on the day of her funeral he only he saw zero that was the one day he actually didn't see any patients at all oh wow yeah so it's sad like it, it is sad but again it really is you know, jean little just does an amazing job writing about such a turbulent time through history through the eyes of a 12 year old girl and again you see history repeating itself through the Spanish flu and what happened with Mm COVID-19.
0: And I think, I mean we'll get into more as we go, but I think the idea to have a child narrator, a child who's writing these diaries, is very accessible for children, obviously, they've made that choice, but for adults as well, because children are processing information differently. So they don't know everything. So as an adult reading these stories, you can go along with the discovery of how heavy something is or how difficult something is through the eyes of a child. And I think that makes it accessible to readers of all ages, no matter where you're coming from, whether you're reading it to a child, whether you're reading it for your own enjoyment, or whether your child is reading it on their own.
1: Exactly, yeah, definitely
0: you
2: you get different things out of the books, I think, depending on how old you are. Like I remember reading this book as a kid, and i didn't I didn't get nearly as much out of it, and mm-hmm. now that I've you know I've lived through a, a pandemic, I've done like a history degree, I've researched these things. I have such a bigger appreciation for these books and how much they actually share. Mm-hmm. They don't shy away from some of the hard topics, like the Dear Canada books aren't about like everyday easy times. Like we're writing about a pandemic and a world war um, in these books. And like, those are really tough times for a kid to be growing up. Um, And they don't shy away from the really tough things.
1: Yeah, Which I I think gives them the
0: staying power of these like many years. Like if you can reread something as an adult that you read as a child, get something new out of it. Like there's staying power in these books. They're still popular now. They're always, you know, coming in and out of our shelves as well because of, of the strength of the writing, of the experience of having the difficult topics and not shying away from the reality of those difficulties.
2: And they're really they're really global. Like they, they fit for a whole bunch of different people. Like these books are set in Ontario, like in Toronto mm-hmm. and like surrounding areas because that's where Jean Little grew up. Mm-hmm. But we were experiencing those same things in Red Deer, right? right. We, the pandemic hit Red Deer, um, the war affected Red Deer um and that's why we wanted to touch on these two specifically for this topic because like there were direct connections not not that these kids lived in Red Deer but there mm-hmm. were direct connections their experiences were very similar to what kids in Red Deer would have been experiencing at the time
0: yeah which we make some great picks for sure um so did you want to get into your next pick to highlight today
2: yeah so the other book that we picked was Brothers Far From Home, the World War I diary of Eliza Bates. And this, uh, this diary follows Eliza be- from Christmas 1916 until uh, the end of the war in November 1918. Uh, so a really long span of the book. Um, Eliza is the middle child of seven She has two older brothers who have gone off to war. Um, Her brother Hugo is fighting in the trenches in France, um, and her brother Jack has joined the Royal Navy Air Corps. So he's a pilot for the British Navy. Um, And her older sister is going to nursing school. She, you know, wants to be a nurse, wants to help the war effort. Um, And it's her really, Eliza really experiencing what the war home front was. Um, and what the people back home were able to do to contribute to the war, um, you know, like knitting socks to send to the soldiers and creating care packages um, and doing fundraising concerts and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And what, what the war was like from the home perspective
1: um,
2: and hearing about all the things that happened to her brothers, um, not to get too much into it, but, you know, not everyone makes it back from the war which is difficult. And so her trying to cope with what she has to do as a, as a kid back home, she can't really contribute to the war. And I guess really what she thinks meaningful ways. Right. Um, but writing letters to her brothers is really uplifting for them and it helps them um, a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah. And the powerlessness that children feel just generally, but in a time of war, or pandemic. It's a different kind of helplessness, I'm sure. Did you find that the narration really conveyed that level of, I I don't know what to do. You know, everyone's doing their part, what's my part?
2: There was a lot of that. There was a lot of, I think, reluctance from her a couple of times. Um, you know, she was said, well, the one thing you can do is you can knit socks. And she's like, well, I hate knitting socks. I don't want to knit socks <laughs> to help. Is there something else I can be doing? Um, but the things that were difficult that she was experiencing, I don't think that adults would have considered that in the same way. Um, she mentions, for example, that like, there's rationing going on and you know, they can't get the same kind of foods that they were getting before the war. And she makes a specific comment about sugar rationing and how her youngest sister, who is five, has never had real sugar before. She doesn't remember real sugar. She never doesn't remember the like the fancy cakes and the cookies that they used to have before the war. And she thinks that the beet sugar like desserts that Eliza thinks are kind of gross are like the greatest things ever because she (laughs) doesn't know what real sugar tastes like, Um, which is not something that I think like adults may have commented on. They might have commented that it was, you know, a shame that they couldn't have real sugar, but they are considering that, you know, this is something no one's experienced before. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. And it's, it's such like a specific example that children would be able to understand, but that you think about, well, yeah, like sugar, we have that everywhere to have it suddenly not be would be very disconcerting.
2: Exactly. I think both of these girls were really like both Eliza and Fiona were really intuitive. And they really, it kind of sounded like maybe they weren't sure what was going on a lot but they really they really did know they had really insightful views into what was happening around them um that reading back like as an adult I was like wow they really really had like an idea of what was going on despite the fact that people were trying like their parents were trying to hide some of the the worst horrors from them
0: Which is interesting because it is a layer of sort of subtext that perhaps children aren't seeing, that sort of reluctance to be like, oh, I don't really know what's going on. This is my just little example. But as an adult reader with adult eyes and and different context clues, you're like, okay, so this is how you're coping. You're insinuating that you don't know this or that this is weird, but you don't know why. Or we happen to be at war, you know, just in case you didn't know, (laughs) like... Just as all of these little asides, it's it's an interesting perspective as a writer to take on with these children.
2: Yeah, so we picked this book again because it has a connection. It can have a connection to Red Deer. So we know that people from Red Deer went to fight in the First World War. Um, We had 850 men and women from Red Deer and Red Deer County serve in the First World War um, and 118 of them died. Oh uh, so, for reference, in re- 1914, Red Deer had a population of 2,800 people. So, this was like 30 wow. percent of the population going over to fight or to, you know, participate in the war in some capacity. So, that's like an equivalent of like 32,000 people from Red Deer going t- to a war today. Like, that's a
0: lot of. That's people. mind-boggling. I had no idea of that ratio
2: yeah so like 850 people doesn't sound like very much but when you put it into the context of like that's like yeah a third of the population for yeah. red deer going
0: which for so the that, community must have been a, a local blow as well to have that many people missing from the community
2: absolutely it was there was like there was people were gone and then some and some of them didn't come back so that was that was really hard and the people that came back you know weren't were probably changed by what they experienced in the war. Um, the book specifically talks about, you know, soldiers coming back and being shell-shocked and what that looks like. Um, mm-hmm. We know that that's like PTSD today. Uh, we don't call it shell-shocked anymore. Right. But yeah, so like it changes the community a lot. Mm-hmm. And Eliza's community is a, probably of a similar size to Red Deer. So that would have been a similar population going over. There was like everyone knew somebody. Right. Who was in the war? So that was really hard. Um, but Red Deer actually also had an armories building. It's actually where the library is today. The <laughs> yeah. new branch of the library was the Red Deer Armory, um, which was built in like right before the war started um, by the Department of Militia and Defense, and it was the regiment headquarters for the Thirty Fifth Central Alberta Horse Regiment, and they had thought that before before the first world war happened they thought that the next war would follow in the same traditions as all the others and it would be mounted combat so they had training ranges for people you could practice firing your rifles on horseback in this in this armories building um they didn't anticipate trench warfare at that time right so so i think that's kind of neat that we have uh you know a piece of military history in Red Deer. And that was the the Central Alberta Battalion, the 187th, sorry, Central Alberta Battalion. um, The Armouries building became the headquarters for, so people would go sign up um, and enlist for the war at the Armouries building and then get shipped out to wherever their training was going to be for the First World War.
0: I think a lot of times we can feel disconnected to history because you think of red deer as a community and you think ah oh, we're not that old we're not that this you know we're much younger than a lot of other communities even in canada but then there is real history here in our community that you can learn more about at the at the museum that you can you know come and visit our children's library and see that brick building and and know that piece in your mind now of what it was originally created to be
2: yeah imagine soldiers you know in their barracks there there was where their mess hall was you know, they could go training there. It's, yeah, it's a different flavor to the building.
0: It for does. sure. It does. So what drew you to this particular book, The Brothers Far From Home?
2: I think it was just a really interesting, an interesting story of family and how diff- the family reacted and interacted with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, Eliza was very, very close with her brother, Hugo. They were, she, um... She was the middle sibling. She didn't really have a buddy, I guess. The two boys hung out together and her older sister was much older than her. So she kind of wanted to hang out with the boys who were more her age and her younger siblings. Um, there was a set of twins and then her youngest sibling that all kind of hang out together. And she didn't really have that, that sibling person to hang out with. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hugo was her person. And when he went to war, to the war, he, she, was, she was devastated. She had lost one of her friends, um, someone who was really close to her. Um, and when Hugo dies, that was really, really hard on her. And she had to kind of, you know, pick up herself and figure out where she was going with the rest of her life and trying to figure out her relationships with her other siblings. She became really close to Jack afterwards, her other older brother. Um, and just the ways that the community reacted to the family, you know, they, you know, they asked her, they asked the family, like when they were going to start doing their mourning period, when they were going to start wearing their morning clothes and were they going to be having a big funeral to for Hugo and what was that going to look like? And she was really frustrated with people. She was like, Mm -hmm. like, stop asking all these hard questions to our family. Um, and stop trying to monopolize on our grief. There was people that would be coming to their house that would be like, oh, you know, Hugo was in my class and you know, he was really nice and I'm so sad. And they wanted to sit on their couch and cry with them for a couple hours. And Eliza's like, you never knew him you don't you don't deserve to mourn with our family like that.
0: Mm-hmm. I find stories that have an an examination of children's grief to be particularly sort of powerful because children are often allowed to grieve in very like open and honest ways, right? You don't have to put on a front. She can say to those people either, you know, in her diary or even out loud, you don't deserve to be here in a way that maybe is less socially acceptable for adults, but are feeling at the same time. Do you, Did you find that part of it to be quite authentic in her examination of, of her grieving period?
2: I think it felt very authentic. Um, I lost my grandfather when I was around her age. Um, and I remember that you know people wanted to come and comfort me and wanted to talk to me about that. And I didn't know if I really wanted to. It wasn't, it didn't felt like it was my story to share with them. I wanted to share it with my family and I wanted yeah. to be around my family at that point. Um, so I thought it was very authentic. And some of her, some of the younger siblings didn't quite understand exactly what was going on. Um, like her youngest sibling was like, well, when's Hugo coming back? And she's like, I have to explain to him somehow that he's not. Yeah. Um, which is hard. So I think it was a very authentic experience, like representation of how children can grieve and how it looks different for mm-hmm. them. Uh, so like I was talking about mourning and what that looks like. Uh, we have on display in our remarkable red deer section of the museum, um, Grace Bower's mourning dress. And there was kind of two different versions of mourning customs. So before the early age of the war, they were very Victorian mourning customs. Um, The Victorians liked to mourn a lot. Yes. (laughs) Um, As seen by Queen Victoria, right? She, you know, mourned her husband for years and years and years. So they, you know, they had very fancy black clothes that they would have to wear. And you weren't allowed to engage in social behaviors for like an extended period of time. And all sorts of stuff. So at the beginning of the war, they were following these same customs. Um, but around 1915, they found that that was kind of deterring the willing soldiers to go to war because Shocker. everyone around them was in mourning, right? Yeah, they don't want to. Everyone around them is sad because someone's died. And it's not really inspiring to want to go to war. So they kind of changed the mourning customs. So we have like a display of that as well. Um, in our 50th anniversary exhibit, upon further reflection, um, we do have a mourning coat on display that has a crepe armband that was sewn onto one of the sleeves, um, and that was the representation of mourning. It was less flashy and showy, um, which is quite quite interesting. Um, and we also have Dr. Parsons' military duffel bag and his military boots on display in that exhibit. He uh, served in the war as a military doctor. Um, and then came back and was fighting the uh, the flu epidemic here in Red Deer after the war.
0: It's, I love that there are places like the MAG where you can visit local history. I don't know, like, as a person who has been long away from like, you know, school trips and all of those things that we used to do, and and you felt more connected, so you know, your community or what was going on. I've just been completely inspired by our two books that you guys have chosen to talk about today, but also just what you have on display available for just people in our community to come and visit. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how people can go about visiting the museum? So people can, we're
2: free for drop-in. People can come visit the museum. Uh, We, there's no admission fee uh you can donate to us if you like be like what we're doing we'd appreciate a donation <laughs> um but yeah you can come in and visit the museum um and we've i think we've got a lot of information in there that people will find interesting um and what are your change-
0: hours for a community to be we are to open in?
2: monday to saturday from 10 to 4 30. okay very nice so and then we have, if you're a teacher and you want to bring your class, we've got school programs, we've got homeschool programs, we've got all sorts of other fun programs that maybe Kirsten could talk a little bit more about, <laughs> um, and you know, all sorts of fun stuff. Lots of different ways to come visit the museum and, and learn from us.
1: Yeah, sure. on Saturdays we have Make Saturdays, the, the fun art programs for kids and the families to drop in. Um, Check out our website. Like everything's listed on there. Like there's.
0: Are you reddearmuseum.com? Um
1: yeah, we are reddeermuseum.com and all of the information is up there. So just yeah, like go browse around and have fun. There's always something to do here. And we just we love we love having you guys over here. Like it's just it's fun to show you guys what we're up to and yeah, it's The mag's just awesome. I love working here so much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is a ringing endorsement. So if you're not already, follow the Red Museum, the mag on their social medias. Visit reddewmuseum.com for more information on programs or booking tours. And we will see you guys for the next podcast in our series. What are we highlighting next time? Just as a little teaser for our listeners. So
1: next podcast, we will be looking at Three Dear Canada books, An Ocean Apart by Gillian Chan, A Ribbon of Shining Steel by Julie Lawson, and A Prairie as Wide as the Sea by Sarah Ellis.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you both for joining me, and I look forward to our next conversation. And Thanks, everyone, for listening at home, and we'll see you on the next one. Goodbye.
1: Bye. Bye.